Good morning for those of you who don't know me yet. My name is Luke. I have the privilege of being on staff here. And, and usually, usually I am behind a guitar or, or a microphone helping out with worship. But this morning, I get the, the privilege of continuing our journey through the book of Titus. So if you have your Bibles, I would invite you to go ahead and turn there. And if you don't have a Bible, it's going to be up on the screen. Um, but it's also in those seat back Bibles. It's page uh, 1816. So if you don't have a Bible at home, um, I encourage you to grab one of those. And you can even take that with you. Uh, we would love to be able to refill um, those Bibles because people are getting Bibles at home. So, um, yeah, so that's, that's where we're going to continue to walk through this morning. As I was thinking about this passage, I, I really have fallen in love with this passage. Because um, one of the things that this passage talks about, I, I truly believe what Paul is, is talking about is he, he's saying, how do we come to a place where we experience true transformation? It's almost like he gives the, the why for the what. Like Craig last week talked about um, uh, Paul telling Titus, teach things that are in accord with sound doctrine and um, what does it look like to elder and be mature in, in the body of believers. Um, and then he, he dipped into my passage for this week, which I forgive him for because that's the kind of person I am. Um, but he, thank you. That was a joke. Uh, first service did not get it, but that's okay. Um, but but he, he dips into this place of here's, here's why, here's why we do these different things. And, and I think it's so interesting because as I was going through this passage and just falling more in love with what Paul's t saying here, I think it really hits on something that, that I feel and I think most of us feel it, is that in the world today, we are consistently trying to find like the silver bullet, like the, the one thing that's going to make everything okay, right? And in fact, I was reading a book, I think it was called uh, Managing Leadership Anxiety, I think it was either that or uh, a book called... Um, I just lost it. It's okay. Uh, managing leader. Let's just say managing leadership anxiety. It's a good book. Um, and and in that book, um, or failure of nerve, which is the other one. In in one of those books, it talks about one of the keys, one of the the uh, ways that you can know if you're in an anxious environment or an anxious culture is we try and find what's the certain thing, what's the sure thing. Like I think about I think about parenting, you know, I, I can feel that in parenting, especially trying to parent and figure out how do we parent in the current culture that we're in. And you know, if you go to like Google best parenting practices, it, there's there's a ton, right? If you Google that, there's they're saying, well, you have to homeschool. No, they have to be in public school. Vaccinate. No, don't vaccinate. There's there's all these different things that are polarized, and everybody who's polarized, it's like a moral issue, right? And so then it's like, well, what, what do you do? How do you, what do you, what do you do? You go to Barnes and Noble and you look at the self-help section for parenting. Well, where do you even start with that? Right? I mean, my parents, my, my kids are going to be parents before I read all the material on how to parent kids. And, and that's just, that's kind of the culture we're in. And we try and find these different things where it's like, well, how, how, do, I, how do I do the right thing? What, how can I find the thing that's going to motivate me to, to be a good parent? Or, or like, I, I use an illustration all the time about exercise. I hate exercising. And, and people all the time come, every time I say that in a message, people come up to me and tell me all the information why I should like exercise. And it just proves the point right? Like, you can tell me, and you probably will, which is fine. You, you tell me why I should exercise, and I still won't do it, 
You know, that's just the way it is. But, but I, I try and find things to motivate me to exercise, like, like uh, get a pair of running shoes. Like if I get a pair of running shoes, then I will, I will want to exercise. And the reality is, is that I got a pair of running shoes for Christmas. I've ran once since then, which is okay, right? That's better than none. none. Um, but I'm the type of person that I like, I like the thought of having had run, Right? <laughs> You put that together? Like, I don't like the thought of running. Who wants to run? Like, that's just, unless you're being chased, I don't, you know, running is not enjoyable. But I love the thought of, like, getting to the end of a run and being like, whew, I'm, I'm a little winded. My legs are a little, you know, it's like, I love that idea, but not enough to do it. And so it's, it's interesting because uh, I'll even double down on, on motivations that don't work. Right? So if it's like, okay, well, the running shoes didn't do it for me. What if I buy a treadmill? What if I buy a treadmill? What if I buy a gym membership? Then it'll do it, which Mark, you, you got me there, right? Mark's saying, all right, I did that, and, and he's doing it. Maybe I just need to take a page out of, out of Mark's book. But it's like we double down on that. How many of us have bought like a treadmill or an exercise machine, and we use it maybe for like a week strong, and then it becomes the thing that we hang our clothes on to dry them, Right? Yeah, it becomes like a huge paperweight in the middle of our, of our living room. We double down on these different things thinking that this is going to be the thing, right? We, we do that in our spiritual lives too. Like we do that with, with shame. We, we come to places where it's like, ah, I did that thing again that I said I wasn't going to do. And we beat ourselves up about it and we say, ah, I'm just never going to get there. I'm never going to do it. And we just beat ourselves up and we think that shame is going to be the thing that's going to change us. And it doesn't. And so we even double down on that sometimes. Like I've had friends and I've been a part of them as well. Accountability groups where you come to the group and it's like you're beating yourself up over what you did and then they beat you up because of what you did. And some of the groups that I've been a part of, literally, they, they, like if you, if you fall into temptation, and that word fall, I don't even like that, but if you give in to temptation of the week, they, they get to hit you. It's like, why? Why do we do these things? Some of you are looking at me like, well, it was in college. You know, you have bad ideas in college. But, but we double down on these things and we think, maybe this is it. Maybe this will be the thing that helps me live the life that I want to live. And I believe what Paul talks about in this passage is he says, look, all of those things pale in comparison to grace. All of those things pale in comparison to grace. Shame, fear, self-promotion, self-protection, all these things that we think, maybe, maybe that'll be it. Performance. All of those things will not get us where we want to go, the life that we want to live. And what Paul talks about is grace. And I think this is so important because as we're talking about looking at Titus and we're talking about church for the disinterested, I truly believe with all my heart as I, as I go through this passage that, that as we think about, okay, what does it mean to be a church where disinterested people are interested? I believe that disinterested people become interested when they experience people who have experienced grace. I want to say that one more time. If you're a note taker, I want you to get this, okay? Disinterested people become interested when they experience people who have experienced grace. Okay, so let's, let's read this together. Um, go ahead and stand with me if you would, just in honor of God's word. In Titus chapter 2, starting with verse 11. It says, For the grace of God has appeared 
bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your goodness to us. We praise you for your word. Praise you for your grace. And God, I pray that that as we come into this space, as we come in to experience you, I know we all bring our baggage into this space. We don't check it at the door. But God, I pray that just for for a few moments that you would help us to be able to just be focused on you. God, give me the words to say. Give us hearts to to comprehend and help us to be people who are impacted by grace. It's in your name. Amen. You can be seated. As we, as we look at this passage again, it's, it, Paul starts with the word for. And again, Craig talked about this last week. If you weren't here last week, go online, uh, watch the message. It, it, he's referencing the, the passage that Craig had last week where it talks about teach things that are in accord with sound doctrine. And, what, and basically, what does it look like to elder in the family of God? And then he says this, for the grace of God has appeared. The grace of God has appeared. The reason, the reason we are people who desire to set the pace, who desire to elder, who desire to mature, is because we are people who are impacted by what? Grace. Even though you whispered, I still heard it, right? We are people who are impacted by grace. What is grace? Grace is unmerited or undeserved favor. What what does unmerited mean? What does that mean? We don't deserve it, right? We don't deserve it. It's like Christmas morning and you run down and there's all these gifts and most of the time, parents, can I get an amen? Most of the time they are undeserved, right? Yeah. I mean, could you imagine if your kids run downstairs and you're like, hey, we told you that Santa was going to bring you coal. So, uh, Merry Christmas. I mean, could, could you imagine if we actually got what we deserved? And yet Paul says, no, grace has appeared. This unmerited, undeserved what? Favor. Favor. This pouring out of love, of acceptance, of, of I mean, like the, the word is like to, to favor, like have a favorite child. Like, like his Joseph and the Technicolor dream coat, like, like just pouring favor out on you. And he says, the grace of God has appeared, this favor, unmerited, undeserved. You didn't do anything to get it. Favor of God has appeared. And that word appeared, it's like the, uh, it's, it's another word for like epiphany. And, and lots of times we think of epiphany like, like, aha, I just had a, had a thought. But the, the, another way to, to read that word is like the, the revealing of oneself. Revealing of oneself. It's like my, like my, my wife likes to do this to me all the time when I, you know, get home and I'm coming in the door and I have all these other things and, and you know running through my head and she's behind the door and I'll, I'll come in and I'll close the door and then she'll go ah like that and it's uh, just like just she epiphanied right 
She revealed herself. And one of these days, she's not going to be laughing when I fall over dead. But, you know, until then, it is kind of funny. But it's this idea of, like, she was revealed. And what we see here is, is God's grace, his unmerited, undeserved favor is revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. He says the, the first thing that grace does, do you see? He, he says the first thing, this grace that has appeared, this unmerited, undeserved favor that God has for his children has appeared. What's the next word? Huh? Bringing salvation. For who? For all people, right? Bringing salvation for all people. You see, I think that if we are to be people who experience grace... The first thing that we have to understand and continue, and, and this is like foundational, but we don't move on from this. The first thing that we need to understand is that grace, that unmerited, undeserved favor of God on us saves us. It's why when people get baptized here, which, which I'm so excited for Easter, we're going to have baptisms on Easter. It's going to be such a fun uh, just celebration. When, when people get baptized here, what, what do we say? Jesus did for me. What I could not do for myself. You know what that is? That's grace. Paul, Paul says it this way in Ephesians 2, 4 through 9. He says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. You see, the thing that we need to understand as we think about what does it mean to be impacted by grace is grace saves us. We are saved by grace. When, when, I, um, when God saved me, Man, I can remember, again, I've told this story a little in chunks and pieces in different situations, but I can remember, I went back to church camp. It was like my last, last hurrah. I was going to go off to Central Methodist and be a cheerleader. Like, that's not a lie. That's okay. You can laugh at me. I'll take it. I'm, I'm, no, I'm kidding. I'm somebody that, oh, I'm, I'm kidding. No, I was going to go off. I had no, no plans, no purpose. I was going to, I was going to go off to, to Central Methodist. And, and then I, I went to church camp for the last time and I was bound and determined God wasn't going to get me this time. Cause I had, I had done the crying at the altar. That was my kind of, uh, church culture was you'd go to, you know, revivals and different things and you'd have the pastor pounding on the big wood pulpit. And it, the Bible says, if you deny me before man, I will deny deny you before my heavenly father so don't deny Jesus today come up and you know that was that was the culture I grew up in and I I wasn't going to do that again and I had even like went to, going to church camp I, I I brought alcohol and and cigarettes and all these things to church camp it's like what in the world was I thinking but it was like I'm not going to do that again God's not going to get me I'm not going to feel bad for my sin again and yet I walked into that space the first night and God just showed up and he saved me he just saved me. And I remember as I, was, as I was processing through that experience over the course of that week, I kept asking the pastors that were there, how, how could God save me? You don't know the things that I've done. 
You don't know the life that I have lived. You don't know the people that I have used. You don't, you don't know how I've treated others. How could he save me? I, I spit on the name of Jesus. People who say, oh, aren't you a Christian? Absolutely not. I denied Jesus at every chance, and yet he came into that space, and he saved me even when I was running in the opposite direction. That's grace, and that's one of the pastors. He said, Luke, that's grace. We are saved by grace. You didn't earn it, and the reality is he says this grace has appeared, bringing salvation for who again? For all people, those of you who are in here trying to come close and those people that are out there that you're like, those people? Yeah, those people, right? He has brought salvation and it is by grace that we are saved. And if we, if we think, oh, oh yeah, I get that, I'm moving past that, we need to go back to the basics all the time, all the time, every day. Because there is a part of me that says, you know, I, I understand I'm saved by grace back in 1998 at that church camp, but I don't know, I haven't read my Bible in a while. I don't know if God's really happy with me. It's grace. You see, the, the next thing that Paul says there is not only does grace save us, but verse 12, what's that, what's that word there? Teaches. Anybody else have a different translation? Instructs. Trains, yeah. Uh, my, I read out of the ESV most of the time, and, and my Bible says train. It's the word uh, pedagogy. It's like a, a parent coming alongside a child, teaching them, instructing them in the way to go. And sometimes that, that can be harsh. Sometimes there's discipline that, that comes in there, but it's a loving parent that comes alongside their child. I, I think this is the thing that has impacted me the most over these past few weeks as, I, as I've studied this passage, is that what does it look like to be trained by grace? What, is it, what does it look like for me to interact with the world around me and, and, and be disciplined not because I'm trying to gain something, not because I'm trying to earn something, but because of who God says that I am already am and cannot lose. What, what does that mean? What's it mean to parent out of that space? What does it mean to, to interact with the, the gas station attendant who's kind of short with me in that space? What does it mean? I mean, he, Paul says, he goes on and he says, verse 12, training us, so not only does grace save us, but it trains us, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. Ungodliness, worldly passions. That ungodliness, the word actually means that we live in a way that we deny the presence of God. We live in a way that it's like, oh, don't, don't look up there. There's nothing up there. There's nothing up there that can save us. We live in a way that we deny the presence of God. And in doing so, we give in to base, like, worldly, physical passions and desires. Because the reality is, if we, if we don't acknowledge that there is a God, something else will take that place. That's how we're designed as human beings. Something else will take that place. He says, but, but what we do, so that's kind of the negative. He says, it teaches us, grace teaches us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self, so the positive side, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Self-controlled, it, it, it's the same passage, same, same word that we read in, in the, uh, the passage before this when Paul's uh, talking to Titus. He's saying, here's, he, here's how you instruct the older, older people. Be self-controlled. It's sober-minded. Not to be like just thrown off at everything that comes along. That, that word sober-minded, and he says upright. It means um, not 
not in a space where somebody can say, oh, I, I, saw, I saw them doing something. Like, we are above reproach. And, and yet, what does it mean to be trained to do those things? And he says, and ultimately, living a godly life. That godly, it's the, just the opposite of ungodly. It's living as if there is a God who loves and, and has poured his favor out upon us. What does it mean to live like that? To be trained by grace to be upright, to be sober-minded in our culture, to be outposts of hope in a world that has no hope. What does it look like? Because, see, here's the reality. I think we can, we can ask, like, well, what does it mean to be trained by grace when we think about, well, what, what are other things that train us? What are other things that we allow to train us? What about fear? Do we allow fear to train us? Absolutely. Oh, my goodness. I mean, I, I, I allow fear to train me so often. I mean, again, in parenting, there's, there's a thing like my fear at times of like, oh man, I'm not doing a good job. It can come out as anger or it's like, I'm afraid, so I'm angry, you know? I turn into the Hulk and, and not helpful whatsoever. But there's this fear of, well, what's, what's gonna happen with the economy? What's, what's gonna happen uh, with this war? What's gonna happen in our world? What's, we can live lives trained by fear and so we're just always on edge. We're always in this like, almost traumatized uh, fight, flight, freeze, fawn place of always just like on edge, ready to be set off. We, we can be trained by fear. We can be trained by, by others' expectations of us. I think sometimes we do what we do or we don't do what we don't do because of, well, how's somebody else going to view this? What's this, what's this going to look like? If, uh, you know, again, I, I'm using a lot of parenting analogies, but, but there, are, there are times where, you know, that when, especially when my kids are little, it's like, don't run in here. Don't do that. Don't say that. Don't, you know, like uh, taking, taking my kids into the grocery store. It's like, oh, man, people are going to call child protective services on me because you're screaming. And, and you know, there's this like, people are going to think I'm a bad parent. There's this self-protection, self-promotion that we can be trained by, right? And yet the reality is, if we allow ourselves to say, wait a second, what if it doesn't matter what other people think of me? What if, it, what if yeah, yeah, the world is so unpredictable? I mean, COVID is kind of, seems like things are calming down, but who knows? Who, who knows? It's 2022 and we're still talking about COVID, who knows what's going to happen? Who knows what's going to happen with my job? Who knows what's going to happen with my kids? Who's, who knows what's going to happen with, with, my, with this class that I'm in? And we can, we can allow ourselves to be, to be so anxious and we can allow ourselves to be worked up. And when in reality, if we stop and say, okay, wait a second, what am I allowing to train me in this moment? As I was uh, thinking about it, I kept thinking about like an analogy of an of a, uh, iceberg. And I, and I Googled it because I, I was trying to remember how much of an iceberg can you see above water? Do you guys know? One-tenth. One yeah, one-tenth. Typically, one-tenth of an iceberg you, you can actually see above the water. And it's the same with our lives. I mean, actually, uh, one of my favorite uh, verses, Proverbs 27, 7 says one, uh, nope, sorry, Proverbs 20, verse 5 says, the way of a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will, will draw it out. See, lots of times, you can throw that slide up there, Hannah, lots of times if we stop and we say, okay, what am I feeling right now? What am I, what am I experiencing? We can say, oh, I'm recognizing a behavior. There's something going on in me. 
right? Uh, maybe, maybe for me, sometimes it's, it's, man, I feel anxious. I feel like I, I feel like it's hard to breathe. I feel like I haven't taken a deep breath in a little while. You know, maybe, maybe I just need to stop. I'm recognizing behavior. Maybe for me, like I, I hate conflict. I'm a peacemaker, peacekeeper. And so sometimes it's like, man, I'm saying things that I don't necessarily agree with, but why am I saying this? Well, you know, and, and recognizing, okay, there's, there's a behavior there. A good friend of mine, when I was uh, pastoring up in Iowa a long time ago, his kids always used to say that, that he would get sad mad. And, you know, he would, he would experience something if he, if he got a little bit sad, if he felt any emotion rather than happy, he'd just get mad because he, it's like, I, I can't feel sad. There was fear wrapped up in that. Like, he didn't know what to do with sad, and so he'd just get mad. And when, and when we stop and we recognize, okay, there's a, there's a behavior here. There's something going on. We stop and then we notice, okay, what am I feeling? I'm feeling sad. I'm, I'm feeling anxious. I'm feeling, I'm feeling fearful about what's going to happen. Oh, yeah. And then we allow curiosity to come into that space. Oh, yeah, that's, that's true. That would, that would feel hard. There's a, there's a lot of things going on in our world. I, I heard just recently, again, this past week, and it's so, it's so good for me to remember that the, the answer to anxiety is not rest. It's curiosity. The answer to anxiety, that, and I think it's the same with fear, it's not, hey, stop it, Right? Just stop it. Just take a chill pill. What's wrong with you? That's, you know, like we, we, can, we can think that. Hopefully you wouldn't say that to somebody else. But we think it, right? We think it about ourselves. Just stop. Just stop. What's going on? You know, and yet that, that's not the answer. That doesn't, that doesn't bring that down. Actually, curiosity does. When we, when we allow ourselves to notice, when we allow ourselves to go deep, because then we can turn it around. Hannah, if you want to throw that next one up there, because then we can start going out and we can say, okay, God, who do you say that I am? And we just sang a song uh, all about who you say I am. That was, that was the whole song. I'm a child of the king. I am redeemed. I am, a, I am more than a conqueror. There's all these things that the Bible says to be true about us. I mean, the, I, I love, uh, I, in Isaiah it says, um, a, uh, a smoldering wick he will not snuff out and a bruised reed he will not break. Right? I love that passage because what it means is that I can bring my weakness before God and he doesn't snuff me out. He doesn't break me. He doesn't say, Luke, are you kidding me again? I mean, how many times do I, do I tell you to clean up your life? How many times do I walk in here and I say, get this stuff cleaned up and then you clean it up and then I turn around and it's messy again. What's wrong with you? I, I know, I know that that is not the message of my Savior, of my Father. And so the question is, okay, God, who do you say that I am? And then we can step into that and say, okay, if that's true, if it's true that I serve a God who is so patient with me, who has, who's showering me with favor, what does it look like to engage with the people around me? What does it look like to be upright? In, in our community? What does it look like when everybody else is spinning out because of fear? What's it look like for me to stop and say, wait a second, we have grace. It, it reminds me of, uh, it's always funny to tell stories about your dad when your dad's in the congregation because my parents are here this morning. Um, and it reminded me of when I used to, to work with dad all the time because we grew up in like with the salvage yard and farming and all these different things. And me as a kid, you know, there'd be times where it's like, it's Saturday morning. Like any normal child is watching Saturday morning cartoons, right? 
That, yeah, thank you, Jeremiah. That's, that's just the normal, you know, and my dad, would, he was so mean to me. He'd make me get up and come out and work with him, and, you know, and I can, and I can remember that uh, I'd be standing there, and we'd be under a car, and I'd just, you know, be half asleep, just kind of stand there watching, you know, with my hands in my pockets, and he said, what are you doing? Get, what, what are you doing? Why do you have your hands in your pockets? Tell me what I need before I need it, you know, and I'm, you know, Ugh. Just like, uh, just trying to run around and figure out what, what, I, what is a three-quarter inch wrench? I don't, you know, like just trying to run around. And, it, and there was this level of like, <sighs> anxiety. And then, and then it's funny because I went and worked for my uncle, Sydney, who's very different. And, and Sydney, we were building my sister's house, and, and one of the first days, he said, Luke, why don't you go ahead and go grab that uh, toolbox? Uh, and I just, oh, you know, run and come back. And, and he just started laughing at me. He just started laughing. I was like, what are you laughing at? He's like, hey, you just need to calm down. Like, you're okay. We're okay. See, there, there are times where if we, if we don't allow grace to be our teacher, something else will. Something else will train us. And when we stop and when we say, wait a second, what's happening in me? I can be curious because I'm okay. Because I serve a father who loves me and who pours his grace and his favor out on me. But that's not where grace stops. I love it because not only, not only does grace save us, that favor, it saves us. Not only does it, does it train us, but it sustains us. I mean, if you, if you read on from here... He says, uh, he, he references, and godly lives in the present age. Verse 13, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from the lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. You see, not only, again, not only does grace save us, not only does it train us, but it sustains us. See, we know, we know as Christians that as we read Paul's writing, there is a now and not yet to, to our Christianity, right? That we are saved. I mean, Romans, Romans 8 talks about this uh, a lot. Romans 8 talks about how we, are, we have been saved and yet we are waiting for the restoration of all things. Paul talks about, uh, again in Romans 8, I don't count, I think it's Romans 8, I don't count this, the present suffering as anything to be, to be counted a, compared to the glory that we're going to see, compared to what's going to happen. It's almost like we as Christians, we get to live in this place where it's like, yes, we are saved by grace, we are trained by grace, and yet there is something that's coming, that our Savior and King is going to come back. Revelation 21 verse 4 says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. We get to live in this present age, as Paul says there, being trained by grace, knowing it's like there's just, like the dawn is right over the hill. Knowing that, yes, things are hard right now, but it's like the sky is, the sky is lightning. There, there is something coming where, where wars and rumors of wars will be ceased. Where sickness and, and insecurity, that's going to be done. Where I, I love, I just, every time I read Revelation 21, I just get the picture. Oh man, it makes me, I get the picture of a God who just comes down and says, Oh Luke, yeah, let me wipe that tear away. 
We get to live in that. And the only reason we get to live with that hope is not because, like, all these things are going to happen. Your God's going to come back and he's going to make everything right if, if you finish your, your, your read through the Bible in a year plan. Right? Your God's going to come back and he's going to take you and he's going to wipe that tear away from your eye if... If you don't get angry with your children, right? I mean, there's all these different things where we think, okay, yeah, when God shows up, I mean, there's so many, and I just talked to a guy this past week where it's like, yeah, I know God loves me, but I don't know if he's like, I don't know if he's really happy with me. I know God loves me, but I think when, when he comes back, when I get to go into heaven, when, when he comes back as a conquering king, you know, I think he'll be like, Luke, oh, yeah, it's good to see you. How you doing? Come on, come on in. There's a place for you, like, back there. I don't think he's going to be, you know, if, if I'm honest, there are times where it's like, I don't think he's excited to see me. I don't think his favor is pouring out on me. And yet, that's what Paul says here, is that we get to live in this present age, saved and trained by grace, knowing that there is grace that sustains us, that we get to sit around the banquet table of our king when he returns, undoing every, every wrong, every sad thing being undone. We get to sit there by the grace of Jesus Christ. Amen? We get to live in that space. And not only that, but he, he goes back to what Jesus did. Jesus redeemed us. He redeems a people for himself, Paul says. And, and I, I love it because the picture, that word, it's like a conquering king going out to look over his spoils. Because that's what a king would do. He'd go out first and he'd say, okay, that's mine. And, and okay, that's mine. That's mine. Okay, go ahead and bring those back in. And everything else, you guys can have it. And the, 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 the idea there is our conquering king is looking over us and saying, you're mine. You're mine. You're mine. I'm bringing you in. I'm bringing you in. I'm, I'm redeeming a people for myself. And what's it say at the, at the end there? He says, uh, for his own possession who are zealous for good works. See, I think lots of times we have this mindset if we just focus on grace, then we're just gonna like, just like live our lives eating Doritos in our parents' basement. You know, it's like, yeah, but come on, we gotta do something, right? Like, you just can't tell me how loved I am. Like, like gotta do something. See, Paul is saying like, when we fully experience grace, that doesn't, that doesn't make us passive. That makes us excited to go out and do things. It, it, Jesus is bringing us in and, and redeeming a people for himself so that we're excited to go out. Not trying to earn anything, not trying to live up to anything, but because we're just loved people. And we, we want to, we want to, uh, we want to have other people experience that love. It's like if you go watch a good movie and you're like, you got to see this movie. Like, I, I was going to use the Batman as an example, but it's like, eh, it's not that great. But it's like, uh, you know, if, if you go out and watch other movies, it's like, you got to see this movie. I, I'm not saying that because I get paid by the movie industry. I'm saying that because it is such a beautiful thing when more people get to experience what you experienced, Right? You feel, we feel that with movies, but Paul's saying, no, that's, that's what we get to experience through grace with our Heavenly Father who loves us and has, has poured his favor out on us. And the last thing that he tells Titus here, he says, declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority, let no one disregard you. See, there's, there is a reality that when we begin to say, okay, it is, yes, it is grace that saves me. 
is grace that trains me. I'm, I'm going to try and I'm going to try and recognize and be curious, and I'm going to try and live into that grace that's training me. And yes, grace sustains me. He says there are going to be people who come against that. There are going to be times where it's really hard to believe that. But he says, but you, Titus, yeah, hold firm to this grace. Hold firm to this message. Hold firm to this. And he says, he says, let no one disregard you. Titus lived in a really difficult place. I mean, he was a young guy who Paul's saying, hey, teach older people and teach younger people. And, and Cretans are like, you know, they, they lie all the time. And here's overly religious people that are coming in and trying to do all this stuff. If I were Titus, I'd be like, Paul, what are you doing? Like Paul, Paul elsewhere, he says, uh, like in uh, 2 Corinthians, he talks about having all authority. And if I were Titus, I'd be like, that's great that you have all authority, but you left me here. How do, how do I be here? And he's saying, well, you hold tight to grace and let no one disregard you in that. See, again, Compass Church, I absolutely believe that when we begin to experience grace like this, disinterested people will become interested. I, I've experienced it when I, when I was in, uh, in high school, uh, Joe Belzer, some of you might know him. He, he was doing campus ministry up in, up in Kirksville. He lives here now. And uh, Joe Belzer, he, he came to our church that I was uh, in youth ministry at, at, in, in the youth group. And I was driving at the time. So I, I was maybe 16, 17 years old. But after the service, I went to the one gas station in our town. And I was filling up, getting ready to go home. And I remember uh, Joe was on the other side of the gas tank. And he was filling his car up. And we probably said something to each other. We probably interacted. I'm not quite sure. But he went in and he paid for his gas and he got in his car and he, he left. And then I went in and I went to pay for my gas. And, and the guy behind the register said, oh, no, uh, yours has already been paid for. What, what do you mean mine's already been? Who paid for my gas? Well, that guy, Joe, he, he paid for your gas. You see, in that moment, I knew that Joe, uh, Joe's a guy that has like 50,000 kids. Like he's, I mean, not really, but he's got a lot of kids, you know, and, and I don't know if you know this, but uh, most people who go into ministry don't go into ministry to get rich, especially campus ministry where, where most of the time you raise your own support. All right, so I, I knew all these things about Joe, and what I also knew in that moment was an experience that says, oh my goodness. I'm loved by Joe. In that moment, I experienced grace because I experienced somebody who had experienced grace. And it was in that moment that even though I was completely disinterested, I was running far from God, something happened in that moment that planted a seed of interest in my heart that says, wait a second, if Joe can love me like that, what if God loves me too? See, see, when we experience grace, it's the same thing, like, not only for disinterested people, but when, when I was a pastor, young pastor, probably 25 years old at the time, maybe 26, um, young pastor of this, this church up in Iowa, I, uh, there was a guy named Bob. I think I've talked about Bob before. Bob was on the last destroyer to be sunk by kamikaze in World War II crazy story. Incredible guy. And I remember he would come into my office on a weekly basis and we'd talk and we'd just, we'd just enjoy each other's company. And one time I said, Bob, you know, again, 25, 26 years old. I said, Bob, what do you think about like us starting a, a, a contemporary service? This was like 
15 years ago, like during the, you know, that was, whew, like, I don't know if we can say that word in church. Contemporary? Whew, I don't know. Right? And he, and he said, well, I don't know. I don't know if that'll work, but let's try it. And if it doesn't, I bet we can try something different. See, as a young pastor, I experienced somebody who was secure because Bob had experienced grace. Bob knew, Bob knew what it meant to be saved by grace, to be trained by grace, and to be sustained by grace. And see, we as people, whether we're disinterested, whether we're far from God, or whether we're close to God, we, my desire is that we experience grace this morning because that is what a world that is hopeless needs to see. Amen? So Compass Church, my question for us this morning, my question for you as you go out from this place, my question is, what is training you? And what would it look like for you to step back and say, okay, I, maybe, maybe you're saved by grace. Maybe you need to revisit that. Maybe there are some of you in here, you've never experienced that saving power of Jesus Christ in your life. You've never experienced that. You're like, Luke, you don't know me. You don't know my story. I, it's true. But what Paul says here is grace has appeared bringing salvation for all people. So if you're a person, my guess is that that includes you. I don't know what the original language right there is, but my guess is that's you, okay? Not only that, though, but how, how is grace training you? Are you being trained by grace? Is it something else? And, and Compass Church, we can live in this space, in this present age, because we know our story is not over. Amen? There is more to come, and it's just right over the hill. Let's pray. God, we, we thank you so much for your goodness. We praise you for your love for us. We praise you. I praise you for grace. And God, I pray, I pray that you would help us to be a people who experience grace. God, that there would be somebody here, maybe, maybe if they haven't experienced the saving work that you have for us, that they would experience that this morning. That they would experience what it means to be, to be wrapped in your love. God, if there, there are people here that, that, that you're calling them to take that step, to, to walk into salvation, to walk into that, that relationship with you, God, that they would answer that. God, I pray that, that there would be those of us who, who maybe, maybe even as I'm talking, we're feeling things and maybe it's hard to breathe and we're feeling anxious and fearful and, and we're just not sure what, what the next step is gonna be. God, I pray that we would experience the grace that you have for us in that, that we can stop and say, okay, I'm gonna be okay. Let's breathe. God, what does it look like for me to enter into this situation as a loved child of God? And God, I pray that you would help us to be people who are full of hope and grace because we know that you are still writing our story and you are a good God who says that he will never leave us nor forsake us. I praise you, God. It's in your name. Amen. This podcast is part of the ministry of Compass Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, please check out compasscfc.com.